Welcome to Another Day Above Ground, a show for, by, and about baby boomers. It's the podcast for people who have no idea how to download a podcast. And now, here's your host, Dale Irvin. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to your favorite podcast. That is, you know, if you're a baby boomer, it's Another Day Above Ground, and it's the show just for you and for old people like us. So uh, we do it every week and I do it with my team. Please let me introduce you first of all to my partners from the great state of Colorado. Please welcome Carolyn Strauss. Well, hey everybody. So it's still February and I am still enjoying Chocolate Appreciation Month. I, I am not stopping. I, it may have to linger even after the 29th. Hey, I get an extra day though. I'm very excited. Good for you. (laughs) And from Indiana, please welcome the Aristotle of comedy, Mr. Tim Slagle. Apparently the Alaska Airlines flight that the door blew off, none of the four bolts were attached. Apparently uh, bolts cost $25 extra. Well, there you go. That, that would explain. That would explain everything. They count it as luggage, so they didn't want to pay the. No, it's carry on. Right. That's that's what they should do with the extra luggage. Is just bolt it to the side of the plane as it goes. Anyhow, we are, as Carolyn said, in the middle of February, and it's uh, time for yet another national holiday. You know, we we haven't had one since. Well, last month, and this time, it's an interesting holiday. It's President's Day. We used to celebrate, you know, Lincoln's birthday, and then we used to celebrate Washington's birthday. Lincoln, I think it was the 12th, Washington the 21st or 22nd, and then people said, no, that's too many days to celebrate, so we're just going to give you President's Day and celebrate every president. So what we did, just for you folks, is we tried to get a hold of an American president who'd like to discuss the current state of the union with us. <clears throat> and we, we, contact, we contacted Joe Biden, and he said he didn't know what a podcast was. And then we contacted uh, 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 Donald Trump, and he, uh, I think he swore at us, but I'm really not sure. And uh, Obama was very nice in saying that, you know, we should go somewhere else. Anyhow, we went down the line, and eventually we found the 26th president of the United States to join us today. Please welcome Theodore, call me Teddy Roosevelt. Well, Bully, thank you so very much, though I'm a bit disappointed to hear that uh, I, I fell all the way from 46 to 26, uh, that 19 of my successors would have turned down the opportunity to be with you, Mr. Irvin, uh, Ms. Strauss, Mr. Schlegel. I'm delighted to be with you. Uh, I myself flew in for the interview today, and I paid $100 for four extra bolts. <laughs> <laughs> So you were our 26th president. You were you you have so many uh, so many legends uh, surrounding you. I would like to start with now. Were you not the the man, the plan, and the canal that built the Panama Canal? Well done. I see that uh, you too enjoy palindromes, sir. I want to be on the record. Taco Cat sounds like a horrible luncheon. <laughs> but is it Mexican or Chinese? Right, go ahead and write that down, what Mr. Irvin said. A man, a plan, a canal, Panama. Reads the same forwards and backwards, and I was indeed the man with a plan for a canal in Panama. Of course, as you know, preceded by the great engineer, De Lesseps, 
Uh, he who dug the uh, Suez Canal. Two French republics went bust, uh, and 20,000 Frenchmen and nurses died in the attempt to dig the uh, canal at, at the very point at which we bought the rights. So thanks to the French, they took out about a third of the dirt from the great, uh, the great ditch uh, across the isthmus. So, so you're telling me the French surrendered it? They did indeed, sir, and at a price. <laughs> and then we surrendered it and gave it to Panama, right? I was with President Carter about a decade ago at Plains High School, the Jimmy Carter, Jimmy uh, um, and Rose Carter uh, historic site in Plains, Georgia. We celebrated. I performed. You know, I had to make a living after my presidency. I made speeches in exchange for remuneration. I've never made Clinton money, but I'm doing all right. <laughs> I told President Carter that his Camp David Peace Accord was uh, much like my own, uh, and it was Rosalind, not Rose, thank you, uh, that his Camp David Peace Accord was like my Treaty of Portsmouth, for which I won the Nobel Prize, uh, that his Anwar National Wildlife Refuge was in the, the spirit of, uh, of my conservation legacy. But then I took out uh, the digit and I wagged it at President Carter. And I said, but we've got to talk about the Panama Canal. I was in earnest. He laughed. The rest of the audience did likewise. I moved along in my program. <laughs> well, they, did you ever go, have a chance to be on the canal or in the canal or through the canal? In 1906, I was the first president to leave the United States during my term of office. I went to Panama. Mrs. Roosevelt joined me. I went in the rainy season. Uh, Congress, uh, my opponents stated that uh, it would cause a constitutional crisis. There would be a vacancy in the office. I said I'd be in constant contact with the nation's capital by shipboard to shipboard radio in the United States Navy. No vacancy. Of course, now the president travels perhaps too much. <laughs> and he gets it for free, too. You know, that's what bugs me. Uh, well, just again, back, just no back to his basement. There's nothing free about his travel. <laughs> <laughs> So after you uh, got the, uh, the the canal, uh, you know, figured out, and you were the guy behind that, what was the uh, what was the deal with the national parks? Did you actually start the national park system too? Let's give that credit to that uh, son of Ohio, associated, of course, with Galena, Illinois, and St. Louis in the Midwest as well. General Grant and a Republican Congress declared uh, Yellowstone our first national park in 1872. There were five national parks when I became president, uh, 10 at the conclusion of my presidency. So really not all that great of an impact there. My greater impact was in the national forests. Uh, as a result of the Forest Reserve Act, the president can name national forests from amongst public lands. Uh, there were 50 million acres when I became president, 200 million acres when I concluded. In the Newlands Reclamation Act, damming 30 Western rivers, creating the Reclamation Service, irrigating millions of previously arid acres, providing to the settlement thereon by farmers and ranchers. I stated that that was my greatest conservation legislation and sponsored by a silver Democrat from Reno, Nevada, John Newlands, for whom the act is named. There was something back in my day called bipartisanship. We should try it again sometime. It's something in my time called by a politician. Well, you might know in the 1904 election, there was a great deal of fundraising done on my behalf by the Republican Party. And uh, it was one of Rockefeller's uh, officers, I believe, that said, we bought the son of a bitch and he didn't stay bought. <laughs> 
<laughs> you should have reached back and said, no, you just rented me. And that, that contract is off. <laughs> I can't be bought, but I've always said I can't be bought, but I can be leased. <laughs> leased or leashed? Both. <laughs> <laughs> depending, depending on the agreement, Dale, it's a whole contract. I, 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 I would imagine. Well, technically, <laughs> technically, your uh, your area of uh, dispute is is a bit uh, 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 appropriate because technically we leased the Panama Canal Zone from uh, the Republic of Panama. And it ran out, and the lease ran out, and no, somebody wasn't smart enough to renegotiate the lease. Come on, people. The argument with uh, Carter was that he was uh, uh, he was terminating the lease uh, and giving the Panama Canal to the Panamanians decades prior to the necessity to do so by the original treaty. Uh, but there were rights, uh, riots and, and such, uh, political unrest in Panama. He acquiesced. So so, Mr. President, can we talk My about friends your... call me Colonel. We're friends now. I uh... see uh, <laughs> those that might see the background. You've got other presidential friends I see. I'm, apparently, A we're few. not exclusive. <laughs> oh, One of them honey. said it depends on what your definition of friends is. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and exclusivity costs extra, but that's beside the point. So listen, <laughs> tell me, your your wife was not Eleanor Roosevelt, right? Uh, well put. Eleanor is my niece, my brother Elliot's daughter. Okay. Who was your wife? I, you know, I should, I should have actually shown up that year in history class when I was a kid, but I didn't. So tell me about, and did you have kids, and where are they now? You could always oh, hit I'm Wikipedia. So delighted that you've asked. So delighted that you've asked about my family and my children, and something I would not have discussed in my own time, put away and never spoke of it. My first wife, uh, whom with whom I fell in love when I was a junior at Harvard. And she, a 17-year-old lass, a cousin of a classmate of mine living on Chestnut Hill, Alice Hathaway Lee Roosevelt, died at the age of 22, two days after giving birth to my daughter Alice, our daughter Alice, on Lincoln's birthday, February 12th, uh, 1884. I'm sorry and, for the loss. Well, look at that. He knows well, He knows what day his, uh, his, his kid died. <laughs> well, my, my daughter Alice died. Well, of course, she predeceased me. Uh, in this situation, she died, uh, my first wife, on 18, uh, 1884. That same day, beneath the same roof, earlier in the day, my mother, uh, Martha Mitty Bullock Roosevelt, died of yellow fever. Uh, I'm sorry, typhoid fever, earlier that morning in my arms. And then my bride, Alice, uh, upstairs later in the day of Bright's disease, a kidney disease. Uh, there's, of course, all of the people uh, uh, that read newspapers and that sort of thing would have read of the news. I, I was already quite a prominent New York politician at the age of 25. That was a bad day for you. I'm sorry. It if does you were to not see, get worse than That's that. all right. If you were to see my diary, you would see that there's nothing on that date entered but a large black S, X, and the words, the light has gone out of my life. Oh wow! And then how this long horrible you... story brought to you by the Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> so, how long till you met your next wife, and was she your wife when you were in the presidency? Now, here's something you're really going to enjoy. It gets a bit spicy. 
My second wife, Edith Kermit Carroll Roosevelt, was my childhood sweetheart. We had a bust up my sophomore year at Harvard while she was uh, still in New York. She remained unmarried through the three years of my first marriage and the two years of my mourning afterwards. We married just shy of three years after my first wife's passing, but realized then I had a young sweetheart, married another girl I met at college, and when she died, I married my childhood sweetheart. Oh, you had know. five more children, and then we took the baby back into our care. My sister had cared for the little one. And uh, fast forwarding through history, I wonder if you realize at the White House, Mrs. Roosevelt and I reared six children. Mrs. Roosevelt claims she reared seven children there. <laughs> that I was her worstest and most terrible child. <laughs> are any of the kids like in politics? Did they any of them grow up to go into politics? And, and are any of your heirs in politics now? You, you might uh, delight in knowing that uh, the immediate generation after me, six children, uh, Ted Jr. was the most uh, uh, aspirant in politics. He served as the assistant secretary of the Navy uh, during the Harding administration. Then in 1924, what would be generally a very uh, a Republican year across the country, he ran for the governorship of New York uh, against uh, Al Smith famously uh, one of the early uh, Catholic candidates for the presidency. Uh, and uh, cousin Eleanor followed Ted around the campaign trail that campaign season, driving a Buick with a giant steaming teapot atop the car. For it was during uh, uh, Secretary Fell's administration that it was the Navy Department that was found uh, uh, to be full of corruption and kickbacks. Uh, under the uh, oil reserve program. Teapot Dome was a, a naval oil reserve in California. So it's the, known as the Teapot Dome scandal. And Eleanor was reminding the voters that Ted was the assistant secretary at the time of that scandal. It, it created a great schism uh, in the family politically. You then had really the affirmative Oyster Bay Republican Roosevelt, my kin, and the, uh, uh, the uh, Hyde Park Democratic uh, uh, Roosevelt, sometimes called Roosevelt's, Franklin's family, into which uh, Eleanor had married. Wow. Well, well I'm did... guilty of doing what politicians do, giving a long answer to a short question, <laughs> and most of it not even related to the question. But, <laughs> well, I, I do enjoy talking about my favorite subject, me and my family. Well, you got it, you know, Franklin... He got his picture on the dime, but you got yours on a mountain. So I think that's much better than, uh, you know, than just loose change. Have you seen me at Mount Rushmore? I have, yes. I'm rather stone-faced there, aren't I? <laughs> You're very, uh, very stoic, yes. <laughs> I, I would like to invite anyone listening to come visit me in the summer times uh, at Theodore Roosevelt National Park in North Dakota along the Little Missouri River. I first arrived there by the Northern Pacific Railroad to hunt a bison. I wanted to hunt a buffalo before there were no buffalo to hunt. I had not yet developed my thoroughgoing ethic as a conservationist that would lead me to found and be the president of Boone and Crockett, the nation's first fair hunting and conservation organization. I said of my time in the Badlands, it's where the romance of my life began. And in 1910, I told the people of Fargo 
I would have never been president, but for my experiences in North Dakota. The next day, I told the people of Montana, I would have never been president, but for my experiences in Montana. <laughs> but I raised free range cattle. We had no fences. Roundups uh, were throughout eastern Montana as well. Wow. You had no, so you just had to go and, and rope up all the cattle each night or something, or what did you do? Uh, well, you're from the city, aren't you? <laughs> yes, I am. Okay. Yes, I am. Right. Yes. So the only time that we would uh, round up the cattle was when it was time for branding in the spring or for harvesting in the fall after a good summer of feeding. It was all free range cattle. Uh, so uh, we didn't have any fences or corrals or fields into which to herd the. Uh, the cattle you'd wait until the spring or the fall and then you would ride out into the uh, 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 out into the wilderness and uh, you would have camps various camps at various locations to which each brand sent representatives men and horses and you would carry the brands not only of your own ranch but of your neighboring and regional ranches for the uh, uh, the cattle intermingled you know the phrase maverick it's yes, generally a one-year-old yeah. that has no brand, that might no longer be following its mother, the cow. And so the tradition in our region was to brand that maverick with the brand of whatever ranch man ranched that territory, regardless of whether or not that maverick came from a neighboring ranch. And there's a famous speech of mine from which an excerpt, The Man in the Arena, is quite famous. The speech is called Citizenship in a Republic. The man in the arena is in the early part of the speech. In the latter part of the speech is a story from my ranching days in the Dakota Territory. When out riding uh, the branding season with one of my ranchmen, uh, we found a maverick. I said, we're on so-and-so's land. Make a fire and brand that maverick with so-and-so's brand. I'm going out hunting. I came back uh, a half hour later. And now I saw the man about to uh, put my brand on the Maverick. I said, "It's you misheard me. It's so-and-so's brand. He said, I know what I'm doing. I said, uh, man, put that brand down. Go back to the ranch and, and get what's owed you. You no longer work for me. He said, what's the matter? I always put on the boss's brand. I said, if you would be willing to steal from me, uh, steal for me, you would be willing to steal from me. And I was making this speech to the French, uh, telling them that it's not good citizenship if you vote for somebody who promises to steal somebody, something from somebody else and give it to you. Well, there you go. And I'm just wondering, with all that talk about the branding and the Maverick, if they actually branded Tom Cruise during that last movie. <laughs> <laughs> that they would, didn't I would have warn me, Mr. Irvin, that. that you too go astray. <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile, the Maverick is a brand that Ford would like to forget. <laughs> I'll share this with you. I think uh, knowing perhaps the sort of wonderfully uh, insightful and intellectual individuals that are drawn to your uh, podcast community uh, that uh, lost my train of thought, Mr. Schlegel. Oh, uh, that happens, uh, brand Mr. names and that sort of thing. Well, I'm a rough rider. And uh, schools uh, where I visited, their athletic uh, teams, the mascot is the Rough Rider from the cause of Cuba Libre. And Ms. Strauss, I don't mean more, uh, rum and coke. Oh. <laughs> then you lost well, me. Uh, well, and I was a bit lost when I realized that uh, when I Googled Rough Rider, I discovered that 
That's the brand of the second best-selling prophylactic in the United States. <laughs> Duh. Congratulations. <laughs> the Trojans got in there first. <laughs> uh, yeah, but if you want to go up San Juan Hill. <laughs> oh, my. So, Teddy, are teddy bears named after you? We all want to know. They are. I refused to shoot a bear tied to a tree in the Delta of Mississippi in 1902. And the toy manufacturers, Mr. and Mrs. Mictum of, of uh, Brooklyn, New York, uh, they wrote me a letter asking permission to make a, a stuffed bear, which is ubiquitous now, called the teddy bear. I wrote them. I said, uh, I don't think it will help your sales, but you may do so. Apparently, sales of what they called Teddy's Bear were pretty good because the Mictums became the world-famous Ideal Toy Company of New York City, New York. Does your teddy bear have a name, Ms. Strauss? Actually, I just named him Teddy because I hadn't named him before, but I have a teddy bear on my desk. It was a gift from a friend a while ago, and it lives on my desk. And talking to you, it just makes me even happier having him on my desk. Terrific. I would ask Mr. Schlegel and Mr. Irvin what they have on their desk, but I'm afraid what might come into view of the camera. Dale <laughs> is yes, freaking me out. right now. Yeah, it's a, it's, got a it's rat. It's a rat. I call it's a it. teddy oh, rat. A rat. Right. <laughs> so, so was it a tradition to tie up bears and shoot them in, in Mississippi? Was it was under odd circumstances in the fact that Holt Collier and I had been out uh, since before dawn, but found no trail or spore. And uh, I returned to camp. Uh, when he was able to have his dogs uh, chase a bear uh, to the point where the, uh, the bear turned, uh, well, it was in a small swamp. The bear killed two of his hunting dogs. He went out during the fight between the dogs and the bear, busted the barrel of his gun across the bear's head, and the bear was so dazed by the blow, it gave Collier time to tie the bear's neck to a nearby tree. This horrific scene was the scene upon which I came, responding to the shouts of men and the dogs barking, a man blowing a bugle. And one man from Mississippi, he said, Mr. President, there's your bear. Go ahead and shoot your bear. Of course, I refused to do so, and that was uh, spread by telegram and newspapers, and famously... The cartoonist Clifford Berryman drew a cartoon called Drawing the Line in Mississippi, for I'd come to the region under the pretenses of helping Mississippi and Louisiana to settle a, a boundary dispute. And that uh, is the uh, the origin of the... I, when I refused to shoot the bear, by the way, I performed for thousands and thousands of school children. One young school child, uh, after a, a visit, had a question, which we addressed. She said, what happened to the bear? Uh, the sanitized version perhaps told the school children is that we let the bear go or, or that it was upon my order. Of course, as a founder of Boone and Crockett, uh, all of you know, it's a cruel thing to let a wounded animal out into the wild, especially one so grievously wounded uh, by the hunting dogs. Colonel Parker, who would have been my running mate in 1916 had I accepted the uh, Progressive Party nomination instead endorsing uh, 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 Hughes uh, of New York, uh, I, uh, 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 Colonel Parker asked Hope Collier for his hunting knife, went into the shallow water in which the bear was now standing, and stabbed the bear in the heart. Uh, the bear went into convulsions, and Colonel Parker is still running across the swamps of Mississippi as we speak. Because <laughs> oh. I, I know a lot of bears are getting tied up in Palm Springs, but I think that's a different thing. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm ashamed of myself for laughing at that. <laughs> I'm not. You're now one of us. <laughs> Apparently, I know the secret language. <laughs> you always said bully. Were you, in fact, a bully when you were younger? Or what was that about? No, rather, rather, I was bullied. I was so weak and sickly, asthmatic, but more than that, frail. On a stagecoach ride uh, to uh, Moosehead Lake in Maine. You know that stagecoach ride, right? The one to which I'm alluding. Well, <laughs> along the one, way, sure. at every yeah. stop, I was about 11. There were two boys about 12. They teased me and taunted me the entire ride until at one stop, I felt it my duty to stand up for myself, challenging the boys for a fight. The boys, in turn, kept me at bay. I did more damage to myself in the feverish whirling that I did. And it was at that point that my father purchased for me boxing lessons from a professional boxer named John Long. In the little pewter cup that I won as champion of the gym in my weight class, it was one of the greatest prizes ever given to me. Well, Teddy, I can't thank you enough for joining us on this show and telling us all the uh, things that happened during your uh, presence. If people wanted to know more about Teddy Roosevelt, where, where, where could they contact you? Well, delightful. First, uh, to know more about me, I'm going to recommend the Theodore Roosevelt Association, TheodoreRoosevelt.org. Uh, I'm going to recommend the Theodore Roosevelt Center at Dickinson State University in North Dakota, now, what's wonderful there is they are digitizing my entire record, uh, 200,000 letters, 30 books. Uh, and, uh, well, here's a fun one. They can also go to teddyrooseveltshow.com, where the spin in honor to my late father, the Chicago comedian Jimmy Wigger, Jim Wiggins, last hippie in America. Uh, you can visit with me, Joe Wiegand. Uh, I'm a kid from Chicago, uh, of German origin, pretending to be a Dutchman from New York. And uh, I love doing it. been doing it for about 20 years after a career in Illinois Republican politics. Uh, when I was a young man in New York and first ran for the General Assembly, uh, my family was aghast. Politics was not the business of a gentleman, they said. Uh, when I was elected and off to Albany to take the oath of office, uh, the words of my cousin were still ringing my ears. He said, Theodore. Don't you understand the Greek etymology of the word politics? Poly meaning many, and ticks being blood-sucking insects. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a delight to bring TR to life, do it nationally, live in Medora, North Dakota, gateway to Theodore Roosevelt National Park, and a future home of Theodore Roosevelt Presidential Library. And big news for you guys, uh, I am, for the first time in the 13 years that I've been in Medora, I'll be co-hosting the, Mo the Medora Musical, which apparently if I'm the co-host, I better get better at saying it. The Medora Musical. <laughs> and uh, it takes away one of my best jokes that, uh, uh, that I'm not in the musical because the producers have seen me dance and heard me sing. Apparently the bar's pretty low. And, uh, well, we'll hopefully there will be a humorous Teddy Roosevelt welcoming people to the Burning Hills Amphitheater in Medora, North Dakota. This uh, summer from the second week of June to the second, second week of September. Take I-94, uh, hang left at St. Paul, and uh, keep coming. You Tie off the steering wheel, put a weight on the accelerator pedal, and take a long <laughs> nap. <laughs> you have traveled the road, sir. Oh, yeah. You have. <laughs> Remind me not to accept a ride from you to the next gig. <laughs> put a brick on the steering wheel. All right. Thank yeah. you once again, Teddy. We appreciate you being with us, and a happy President's Day to you. 
So good to be with you all, and I hope you'll take me up on this. Let's visit again sometime soon. Well, everybody who listens to this podcast knows what that bell means. That means it's time to play our weekly game, Boom Again. This is an actual physical board game that uh, we are in conjunction with. And what we do is we ask some questions from the game. If you answer them correctly, we'll send you a copy of this game. It's a beautiful thing, $50 value. And you're saying, okay, okay, I'm in. Where, where, where should I send, the, uh, send my answers? You send your answers, email us at another day above ground show at gmail.com. Send us, put in the date you listen to it and the, the answers. And if you're right, we'll send you a game. There you go. All right, here, let me give you last week's questions and the answers so you know if you answered correctly. First question last week was, according to the commercial, if you were an Oscar Mayer wiener, what would happen to you? Everyone would love me. Everyone, everyone would, would be in love with me. Right. As yeah. opposed to, we used to sing it, everyone would take a bite of me. So, uh, all right. <laughs> in, in The Godfather. Wait, wasn't, the there, God... wasn't, there, wasn't there a reverse version of that song, too? I, I, I think like in one of the commercials, it was, uh, I'm glad I'm not an Oscar Mayer wiener. There it that is. That is what I never want to be. That's what, because everyone would take a bite of me. Okay. All right, second question. In The Godfather, Clemenza has Polly killed. What instructions does he give to the assassin in the back seat? No idea. Oh, the, one of the most famous improvised lines in movie history. Leave the gun, take the cannoli. <laughs> improvised. It was all improv. He made it up on the spot. Wow. And then our last question is... Um, we were exposed, oh, this one I like. We were exposed to current events by a publication referred to as the Junior Newspaper. What was the name of the newspaper that was given out in school? That's the Weekly Reader. Yeah, absolutely, my Weekly Reader. Published by Very Xerox. Good. Was it really? Yep. <laughs> it didn't smell like mimeographed, I think. I know that, so it must have been Xerox. All right, we got three questions for you this week, and uh, I want you to, to listen to them carefully, write them down, and then send your answers in to... Another Day Above Ground Show at gmail.com. Here we go. First question. In your guts, you know he's nuts. That was the Democratic response to what Republican campaign slogan for Barry Goldwater? He had, a re he had a campaign slogan, and the response, they say, in your guts, you know he's nuts. I remember that slogan. All right. Can we bring question. it back? Huh? Can we bring it back? <laughs> <laughs> Here's a second question. When asked to surrender, the commanding American general at the Battle of the Bulge gave a one-word reply. What was it? Was it Ozempic? <laughs> I'm, sorry i'm waiting for that musical to open up i keep seeing the ads for it you know? well, i hear jardians is really swell <laughs> <laughs> and the third question for this week according to the lyric and lyrics in jefferson airplane's psychedelic classic white rabbit what do each of the three pills do oh yeah, you got to sing the song to remember that one. So those are our three questions. Send them in if you got an answer. We'll send you a uh, we'll send you a game. And you're thinking, well, wait a minute. What if I just want to buy a game, Carolyn? Do we have a deal? 
We do. If you want to buy a game, you can go to boomagain.com, the actual site for the game, and purchase the game before you check out. Put in the promo code 10ADAG and you will get 10% off your game, courtesy of Another Day Above Ground. Okay, well, that's it, my friends. We all, we invite you to visit our website, anotherdayaboveground.com. All of our episodes are there. You can learn more about us, and please do that. But uh, until next week, Carolyn, any final words? No, just um, keep enjoying the chocolate because it's still Chocolate Appreciation Month. Oh, chocolate Month. All right, Tim, final words? Uh, go to timslegel.com and uh, get on my email list, and uh, i got exciting announcements coming up. All right. And visit uh, DaleIrvin.com. I have no announcements, but I have the free Friday funnies every Friday. You get them in your email. It'll make you laugh. Sign up at my website absolutely free. And after you do all of that stuff, go outside. Enjoy today because today is another day above ground. And that's it for another day above ground. For Dale, Tim, and Carolyn, I'm Farad Muhammad. Thanks for listening.